Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by the mayor, Jeff Burton, who is just back from Las Vegas Motor Speedway, where Kyle Larson won the round of eight opener to clinch the first spot in the championship four of the Cup Series playoffs. Jeff, we've seen this happen three times in the last five years where the winner of the round of eight opener has become the eventual champion, Joey Logano in 2018, 2022, Kyle Larson in 2021. So do we make too much of this that is Kyle Larson now essentially maybe the favorite to win the championship because he's got a two race head start on preparing for Phoenix? Nate, I don't think I don't think we make too much of it. I think it's real. I think the opportunity to just now just completely focus uh, on going to win that championship, uh, you know, the, the evidence speaks for itself. Like it's worked. The last two have been won that way. So it, it is a major advantage. Look, you're still going to go into the next two weeks trying to win races because it matters so much. But the focus goes completely to winning a championship. And it also allows Hendrick Motorsports put, to put focus on the 24 car and, and to help them do what they need to do the next two weeks to get them into the championship. So I, I think it's a massive advantage for Hendrick Motorsports, not just for the five car, but for the 24 car. It could be good news for William Byron in terms of, I mean, he already comes out of Vegas as the second ranked car in points. Uh, and now certainly we'll get a lot of focus at Homestead, but Kyle Larson, of course, loves Homestead, wants to win there. I think it was interesting, Jeff, both he and Cliff Daniels, his crew chief, struck almost this defiant tone post-race last night where they said that, hey, we're going to focus on Phoenix, but we want to go win Homestead and dominate. We want to crush everybody. We want to go to Martinsville and run well. But explain to me the logic in that, because I think it was Stevie said on our broadcast that, okay, at the racetrack, yes, you're going to be focused on running well and making your car as good as you can. But every second you spend away from the racetrack now turns to Phoenix, right? Like every simulation session every amount of setup knowledge that you have is focused on two weeks from now, if you're Kyle Larson and Cliff Daniels, right? Yeah. Well, I think the challenge for, you know, the, the negative to this is there's a challenge to changing your process, right? So if you listen to Cliff and, and Kyle, both, they talk about the process and they, and, and they have a weekly process that they believe in, they stick to it no matter what the situation is. So do you change that? And that's, that's a great question. Do you do something different because it's it's Phoenix and 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 you can focus it on. I don't know particularly the team does that, but certainly the man the company does. The company now has a tremendous amount of time to spend on that car 
that car will max out every single everything uh, in regard to tech. It, it'll it'll just all the emphasis will go to that. I think what it, the main advantage in it, because all teams can turn that wick up, the main advantage in it is that you don't have the added pressure of the next two weeks. And yes, you go to Homestead trying to win, but if you don't, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Now, racers don't think like that, you know, in the immediate. But when you have a bad day and you're in the rental car going back to the airport, you're like, nah, it's all right. You know, if you're <laughs> if you're having a bad day and now you have to serious work to do, now you just add a whole nother week of pressure. So, you know, those guys that everybody but him, right? Everybody but that that five team. They have this week another week of pressure, another week of not sleeping well, another week of worrying about everything under the sun, right? And they don't have that, and it just it's it lets you release. And 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 you know some drivers will say, yeah, I don't worry about it. They're lying. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's no way that you don't worry about it. And and it just allows everyone two weeks, two weeks of time to catch your breath at the end of an exceptionally long season. Think about when you hear in football, what it means to have an off week, what it means to have an off week between the, the last round of the playoffs and the Super Bowl, how the teams use that. Well, Cliff Daniels and Kyle Larson have two weeks, not one, two weeks to have an off week to prepare. And it's just a massive advantage. Give me a sense of not just the avoidance of pressure now, like all that weight's lifted, but in terms of the preparation, I would presume Kyle Larson, Cliff Daniels have sim time lined up here already for the next two weeks. Is all of that Phoenix? I mean, do they worry one iota about Homestead and Martinsville? You know, I had a conversation, spent a fair amount of time just talking to Cliff at Darlington, just hanging out in the garage, just talking to him. And one of the things that he said to me that I I, I believe in this is that, you know, you do the same thing every week. Like every race matters. Every race is is a championship opportunity. I think that mindset means that they probably go to they probably prepare the same way this week that they would normally. I, I don't look. Kyle Larson's not the kind of guy that is going to be hanging around the shop just for no reason, right? He's going to go in there and work and be productive, and then he's going to go do his thing, which he should do. So, I, I don't I don't know that that the particular team says, okay, we're going to just put all of our focus on Phoenix. I don't think it works like that for this team. I think that they're going to stay in their process. I don't know that. But just in talking to Cliff and his belief and how you treat every week the same, no matter what the situation, you treat it the same. This will challenge that thought process. But I believe that is the mindset that they will have going into Homestead. And they've certainly been there before, as you said. I mean, this happened two years ago. Kyle Larson won the championship 2021 after winning the round of eight opener. So they have some experience with this, but they almost didn't have this chance, Jeff, where Kyle Larson, he won the race, led the most laps, won both stages, but he had a moment where he got sideways off of turn two, made this incredible save. You know, both you and Dale Jarrett analyzed this. I thought very well in the broadcast basically said there's not a lot of drivers in NASCAR, never mind the world, who could do this. Larson talked about it after the race. He said that I was getting really loose um, at that point. Um, and it's so bumpy in one and two that, you know, when you are loose, it makes it even worse going across those bumps. And I got a little out of shape, had a moment, 
and thought I had it saved, but usually when you do that, it just it just aggravates things, and it stepped out really quick. And honestly, it was you know thought thinking I was just gonna spin and then hit the inside wall. And about that time, you know, I clipped the outside wall and uh, got lucky. Was this a mixture of skill and luck, Jeff? Where it's <laughs> Kyle Larson, we know he can drive the hell out of a race car, but did he also get saved a little bit being so close to the outside wall? He, it was a little bit of both, but a lot of the the second, which was skill. You know, certainly when the right rear came around, uh, that helped stop the spin, right? That helped stop it. But the minute it hit the wall, his response to that was was magic. His response to that was just instinctive, right? It's not something you're thinking about. It is all the years of racing. It is all the experiences you've had. Your brain takes over and you just respond to it. Kyle Larson wasn't thinking, okay, I got to put two degrees of wheel to the left. I got to use 6% brake. It's all instinctive at that point. But when I say instinctive, it is from lessons learned of all the years of racing, right? And it just was a response. And it, it was awesome to watch. And, and, and I also want to say that it shows you how on edge these cars are and how on edge the drivers have to put them to go fast. I mean, here's a guy running in the front. He's not running 20th, almost wrecks his race car. And that's what's required. Like you have to be able and willing to dance on that edge. And, 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 and what's unique, like this car, it, you, you're dancing on the edge and all of a sudden it crosses it and it does it quickly. It just was a great exhibition of skill, a little bit of luck, uh, lessons learned from the past, and and it it just was really, really cool to watch. Take me through it as a driver, because I think you said that the inclination is you want to overcorrect, which I think you mean turn the wheel to the right. Yeah. And that's going to put the car on the wall. Is that is that essentially you have to like you can't do that? I think DJ also said the. Yeah, also the natural movement here is to stomp the brake and he applied just the amount of pressure to the the brake pedal. Yeah, there are a lot of things going on right there. I mean, obviously the car's, you know, starting to spin out. He thought, he says he thought it was going to spin out. So you're immediately putting, you're turning the wheel to the right the same way you would on an icy road, right? Like, you know, or, a, you know, any, any, you would turn the wheel to the right to, to steer it into the spin, right? So you turn into the right. And the second that that, the right rear hit the wall. Now that's trying to that's trying to stop the right rear, right? And shove the, the front back to the wall. If he's got too much wheel in it and he's turning the car to the right and the right rear hits, it's ricocheting pow to the, I mean, it, it happens quick. So he had the right amount of wheel into it before he hit the wall. That's to me what was the impressive part about it is that this is this car is very sensitive to right wheel input and we've seen it over and over and over where a guy just thinks he's got a little bit of right wheel in it and it's a lot more than he realizes it's a lot more effective than he thinks and i think that's because the left side tires you know their tires are so much wider than they were uh, i don't know what it is but it just swings to the right quickly and and he just timed it all right he got the car slowed down he, he timed it all right. And, and it, again, it was a response. It wasn't a slow, steady. It happened quickly. Potentially, if he does spin and hits the inside wall, and he had now think about where he would be in points. 
Think about yeah. the work you would have to do. We'll never know what would have happened. We'll never know. Because even if he goes this week to win Homestead, that does not mean he would have won Homestead had he entered the race this many points behind. You know, things don't work like that. So that could have been a championship winning save. I mean, it really could have been. And and it 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 was it was just amazing to watch. And and it was he made it look easy, but it's not easy at all. I'm going to ask you to quantify something that probably can't be, but in terms of his skill, can you put a number on like scale of, I don't know, one to 10, like how good a move was this? And is it all just his talent or is some of it that he has spent so much of his career driving cars where he's sliding on the edge of out of control on dirt like this all the time? Well, I, I, talent is, you know, talent in my eyes, talent is the consumption of years or, or whatever it, amount of experience you have, right. Is, is the, the, you know, all that put together and your natural ability. And, and then also the, the, the big moment ability, right. All of it's, all of it gets coupled up. So, you know, clearly Kyle Larson has a ton of natural ability, but you also has to have to add up all of the, the experience that the guy has, you know, and that, that is what his current talent is. He hopes his talent is more three years from now than it is today because of the experiences that you have. So as much as I'm talking up Kyle Larson here, Jeff, he almost didn't win. <laughs> I probably should not let that go overlooked here. Christopher Bell wins the pole, leads the second most laps and comes up eight hundredths of a second short of beating Kyle Larson with this enormous charge in the closing laps. We heard Adam Stevens was telling like, hey, you're not out of this. Like, you can make it. As you saw those closing laps, did you see this coming? Was this out of nowhere? Like, what did you make of Christopher Bell's charge? So they kind of had leveled off, you know what I mean? It looked like, you know, Kyle drove away from him initially, and then they kind of leveled off, and things got even for a while, and then it started happening pretty quickly. And we've seen that before. Like, we've seen, we've seen in the end of races, the end of long runs, a car – you know, be better than the other one, a driver be better than the other one and just start making massive amounts of, of time up. Generally, it's on racetracks where there's multiple grooves, right? And you have different places you can run. And with like five to go, I'm thinking, nah, this is over with three to go or four to go. Actually, like I remember maybe a seven to go or something I'm like there's no way. And then like with five to go, it wasn't based off the time sheet. It was just it looked like Larson had gotten slow and I don't think Bell got faster. Just Larson got slower and you could visibly see it. And um, you could visibly see the center of the corner speed looks so different. And what was odd about that, the first lap it happened, like I looked at time and score and I'm like, that's a big gain. I looked at it and it wasn't. And I'm like, that's gotta be better. Like, and I don't know what that was. And then the next lap time and score did show it. It was like three tenths quicker. And, and maybe I just saw it in turn four. I don't know, but yeah, we've seen it before where this happens. And, you know, as Christopher Bell is coming off turn four, you know, what's on his brain is what in the hell happened on pit road. I mean, you know, like, you know, Christopher Bell has got really worked up about the pit crew and they just weren't able to perform during the year. And I don't blame him. I'd have been worked up too. They probably had an opportunity to win more races than they did, and they just could not get off pit road. Now, he has said since that, that he felt like he had some things he had to clean up on pit road, too. They swapped him to what appeared to be one of the – one. well, not appeared to be. It was definitely one of the best pit crews on pit road, and they just haven't 
they just hadn't done it and and maybe they will but they haven't yet and here was an opportunity on you know on a consistent basis here was an opportunity on sunday to go win a race and they they, they couldn't do it christopher couldn't didn't launch very well out of the pit box pit crew wasn't great just all that stuff collectively they come out third and lose the race by a car length i mean if you come off if you come off with a lead you probably win that race I mean, we don't know what would happen, but you stood a hell of a lot better chance. And it's it's uh, it's a team sport. It's always been a team sport. And so Christopher Bell, on a year where pit stops have been cumbersome and bothersome, uh, here it, it it happened again. And it's it's um, he's got to be exceptionally frustrated. Uh, but he's got you know, and and I, I think the concern is is this weekend. I just don't think I just don't think Homestead is a place where. Christopher's great, which is un- unusual, you know, and I would have thought that he would be really good there, but now he goes to, he goes, he, there's a lot of pressure on him. And this was a race that they could have, they could, they could be in the same situation that Larson's in, but, but they're not. Yeah. So he comes out of this race now three points below the cut line with two races to go to make championship for, but you could hear it in his interview to your point, Jeff, that he didn't seem to have a tremendous amount of confidence. He felt like this was, a big moment that it slipped away. I mean, this is a guy who won twice last year in cutoff races to advance first of the round of eight and then the championship four. So when he did the interview with us after the race, I think he was also mindful of that fact and that this was a missed opportunity. He said, I mean, I don't know what else I could have done. Um, so very, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that was my moment. That was my moment to make the final four and uh, didn't quite capture it. So, I think we were watching Christopher Bell process that in the moment and it was difficult. It's probably going to take a day to get his mind right. Oh, at least, you know, at least. And, and uh, look, Christopher has been, he's been in a lot of big races in his life and, and he will, he will come to Homestead fully prepared, but you have to find a way the same way of when a pit crew has a bad pit stop, they, they have to put it, they have to learn from it, but they have to put it away in another spot. And next time that car comes down pit road, you got to rock it. And that's what he's going to have to do this weekend. He's going to have to not look back and think what could have been. Now, he's a human being. How do you, how do you just turn that off? It's one thing to say, hey, just forget about it, move on. It's, that's easy to say that. Um, it's a whole other thing to do it. I always tell people, you know, they well, well, just forget about it, move on. Well, Tell a person that's afraid of snakes not to be afraid of snakes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't work yeah. like that. You have to, you have to learn the skill to to be able to move on. You have it's, it's not easy to do, but that is going to be required not only of him but everybody. Adam Stevens is, cannot get sucked into worrying about what happened last week. Christopher can't. The pit crew can't. They all have to find a way to move on because it's it's a lot of work. I mean, they you know. Blaney's in trouble, obviously, but everybody else is still in play. I mean, and, and there's going to be a lot of work to go get done the next two weeks what they need to get done. I want to go back to what you said about the pit crew, because when they made this change prior to the playoffs, we thought, oh, OK, problem solved. It's a quick fix. Pundits like me think, oh, they just take a really fast pit crew that was stopping on Ty Gibbs's car, put it with this car, they'll be fine. And then the first two races of the playoffs, 
I think they were ranked outside the top 20 in terms of pickers after being ranked like top five when they were with the 54 of Ty Gibbs. So that this is still a problem. I mean, we heard Adam Stevens coaching Christopher Bell at points during this race, Jeff, saying like, I need you to get in the box a little bit differently. You know, Stevie was kind of explaining how you could see on the tape that the Jackman wasn't quite aligned with how Bell was stopping in the stall. I mean, we're seven races in to the playoffs with this new pit crew and they're still making adjustments or trying to you know figure out how to make this work two months in i think it really kind of dispels the notion that there are any quick fixes you know to your point this really is a team sport it is and and, you know christopher was very clear to me that that he had to be better on pit road as well and uh, i found that interesting like it was almost like when they got the new pit crew sometimes when your pit crew is having bad stops right and it's just not going well on, on pit road and you are, you know, the pit crew is clearly a second off order. I'm just making that number up. The the pressure doesn't get applied in all the other areas, right? It's just like, we just need to fix that, right? And then when you do, when you do start having good pit stops, and now the analysis is, okay, we had the same stop as them, but we came out behind them. What else is there, right? What else is going on here? And now that the pit stops have gotten so fast, there's more opportunity to mess it up by getting in your pit box, by your pit road speed, by all of these things that do influence how fast a pit stop is. And it does matter. It does matter how the driver gets in a box. It does matter how the driver leaves the box. It does, all those things matter. And it's very easy to dismiss them when the pit crew isn't doing great, right? And it's also easier to dismiss with a more experienced driver because the assumption is he's doing all those things where a tie gives hypothetically because i don't have facts of this i would imagine that ty gibbs was has been treated like someone that doesn't know how he needs to be getting on pit road and how he needs to be getting in the pit box and the amount of scrutiny around him and the job he's doing is higher than the amount of scrutiny that it would be for a more experienced driver right so and, and but these things happen. I mean, these things happen where, you know, that that was that was part of the magic in, in Chad Canals. Like Chad Canals never let Jimmy Johnson be a six-time, five-time, four-time champion. He always treated him like he needed to be better in everything, right? And and Jimmy did the same with Chad. And so it happens in our sport. It happened around me where I wasn't held as accountable as I, as I probably should have been held because I had won X amount of races. I had a stature in the sport. It's harder to do that. And it takes a certain unique personality to hold more experienced drivers accountable in every area. And I'm not saying that, that I'm not saying Christopher wasn't, I'm not saying that, but clearly Christopher has said he has to be better on pit road. And at the same time, that pit crew went from being really good to not being really good. You, it, you know, you don't have to be a mathematician to do the math and figure out that, <laughs> that you know, someone told Christopher, he's got to find a way to be better on pit road too. Right. Yeah. So, but it is an orchestrated event that's ever changing. Right. And the reason I'm saying it's ever changing is because when you come down pit road, the guy that's in front of you, who is that? Where did he stop in his box? The guy that's behind you, who is that? Where did he stop in his box? Is he coming in after you? Is he coming in behind? Like it's ever changing. So you can't just, you can practice it at the shop, but you can't really put yourself in every situation the way it happens, the way it happens on a Sunday. Yeah. Not if you're talking about like how drivers are getting on and off the pits. I mean, you can't, every 
pit entry is different. You know, every every track is different. You can't Correct. simulate that kind of thing at the shop. And you made a great point there. I hadn't even thought about when we're going from changing five lug nuts and 12, 13 second pit stops to change in one lug nut and what the nine second sub nine second pit stops, you think that's going to shift the onus on the pit crews. I know we talked a lot about that, but I think you're right. In a way, it's kind of shifting the onus to the driver and leaving less of that margin. Now, things that we might not have noticed about entry or exit before might not have showed up because of those extra three or four seconds on the pit crew. Now that's on the driver. Yeah, it, it, it's anytime you shorten them, anytime you shorten them out, the amount of time it takes to do something, the more important everything becomes, <laughs> right? If you're off 10% on a 10 second stop, that looks a lot different than if you're off 10% on a 15 second stop. It's, yeah. it's a massive difference. Yeah, it's huge. So Chris Rebell, obviously, Jeff, was fairly inconsolable after this race. I thought it was also interesting, William Byron, who, again, he's 11 points to the good with two races left uh, in this round. But he also seemed really kind of down in his interview with us after a sixth-place finish. Yeah, our relay payment Chevy was just um, really loose on the long runs, and we just struggled to, to keep that long run speed. So we had decent restarts, and then we would um, – have to crutch it so much for the short run to get some long run speed and uh just just a tough day so got a lot of work to do uh definitely definitely need to look at homestead and and start getting prepared for that so we'll start going to work on that tomorrow morning and um just uh yeah a lot of work to do definitely not the day we wanted very uh very kind of average all day the mood coming out of here it felt like no one stumbled although there was a disqualification for ryan blaney we're gonna get to that in a minute but in terms of on the track, I don't think we saw any of the contenders stumble in a big way. But it also seemed like only the winner was happy because the standings now yep. are so tight. You know, <laughs> like explain that to me. Like no one came out of here with their hopes dashed aside from, again, Blaney probably has to go win now one of these last two races. But everybody else feels kind of in the ballpark. But no one seemed to express that post-race. Well, the kind of here's the kind of day that it was. So we talked about in the pre-race, we talked about how no one wanted to make a mistake, but that the points are so tight that doing good may not be good enough. So Chris Busher, he had a yeah, kind of a average day, didn't finish 11th, got no stage points, zero stage points, right? And he lost 20 points. He lost 20 points and he is now 23 back. You can't have an average day. It's too competitive. You know, he lost 20 points with no stage points. And so, yes, mission accomplished by all, except for Blaney's team, mission accomplished by all by not digging a hole. But in not performing, Busher has dug a hole. Like, unless he goes out and just has an incredible next two weeks, he's in a point, or other people have issues, he's dug himself a hole. And, and because it's so competitive. Like, do you think Christopher Bell, Truex, Hamlin, Byron, Larson, you think they're going to – Reddick at, at Homestead, you think they're going to go run 15th? I don't. Yeah, no. I think they're all going to get stage points. I think they're all going to run well. Now, somebody may make a mistake. Somebody might break. Somebody might hit the wall. It is Homestead. But they're going to run well, right? And and Busher just didn't. He didn't run terrible, but he didn't run well enough. And so that's the kind of year this is, is that we've had a – we had a – the playoffs always bring a lot of mistakes. In the first race of this round, it was about performance. It wasn't about minimizing mistakes. It turned out it was about performance. And you had to go and bring speed. And if you didn't bring it, 
you weren't going to get what you needed. And one team that probably could have had better result with its performance at Las Vegas was Martin Truex Jr. So he comes out of here, Jeff, plus three above the cut line with an eighth place finish. His best finish to the playoffs, by the way. Hadn't had a top 15 until this eighth. But obviously the team left lamenting the fact that to start stage two, James Small kept the number 19 Toyota on track with 15 lap holder tires. Uh, And after that, Truex was just playing catch up all day. Again, finished eighth with what I think he thought and James Small thought both thought were were a top three car. Uh, Dustin Long talked to Truex and Small after the race. Truex said, "Yeah, I my you know he he told me that pretty late around the corner in three and four, and my gut reaction was, don't do it, don't stay out. And I just I I like to uh, you know listen to my crew chief and do whatever they say no matter what because he." They know more of what's going on than you do, and usually the drivers 90% of the time wrong if they make their own decision or go against the crew chief. So I went with it, but I didn't feel good about it. And then, uh, you know, 10 laps, 9 laps, 10 laps, whatever here is, is a lot on tires. So, um, you know, if we could have got a quick caution, it would have worked out great because we had the lead for whatever, a few laps. But, you know, once I got back to third or fourth, it just dropped like a rock. Small said, just trying to make sure we had track position. And there was that many people there. And I- People might stay out, and clearly they didn't, and it was just a terrible decision. If we had just taken right sides, we would have had the lead, and it wouldn't have been a problem. So it was just didn't need to take that kind of risk with arguably the top three car or car capable of winning, and it's just, it's just, yeah, just stupid, really. So Dustin also asked Small if he was trying to spark the team because they'd started off the playoffs in such a slump. And Small said, no, I was just trying to do the best that you can, and I thought this would work. I thought more teams would stay out. So... Your analysis of what the 19 did here, was it a worthwhile gamble? Obviously, in retrospect, <laughs> no, but at the time, I mean, did it make any sense? Yeah, uh, well, so look, what did happen prior to that. So what I do is I look, when, when, and I've never been a crew chief and never wanted to be and do not want to be one now. Um, Especially after this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but what you look at is takeoff speed, right? And what we did see, the only thing that, that I will give James Small is a little bit, a little bit of 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 a break on is that we did see two tires and or up up in the field do okay like we did see two tires kind of sort of work that kind of gave you a little bit of sense of oh okay maybe none is okay uh it ended up being clearly the wrong call this quest for clean air right if we get clean air all will be fixed is what drove that decision Clearly, he thought if he could get the front row, he could get clean air, he would be in position to make that call. Fortunately for race fans, there was enough tire fall off where it didn't work. And when I say fortunately for race fans, because I think that we need that. We need to be in a situation where, you know, we do lose, the cars do lose speed as the run goes on. Putting gas only isn't, in my opinion, the best thing for our sport. So, it's a difficult analysis. It's a very difficult analysis to make. I think he did it clearly because he thought it was the right thing to do. I don't think it was any any more complicated than that. But they did take a top five, top six car uh, and, you know, and mess the day up. I will say this. There have been many times, and I said this during the broadcast, there have been many times that we've seen when the 19 car is super fast, they put him in the back for whatever reason, and he's flies up through the field. He could not do that this week. 
And it wasn't because it wasn't a multiple groove track. It wasn't because there wasn't places to go. They didn't have the car to do it. They did not. Chase Elliott, he didn't have the car to do it. He couldn't start in the back and get where he needed to get. Uh, uh, Daniel Suarez didn't have the car to do it, right? So it is harder. Uh, this car does make it more difficult, but we have seen the 19 be able to do it and do it with this car, but he could not do it this week. Larson talked about this after the race, Jeff. You kind of mentioned it there, that the difference with next-gen versus previous cars, especially on these intermediate tracks, is that when you're in clean air, it seems like it abuses the tires a little bit more. The tires wear a little bit more when you're running up front versus the other car where when you could be out, out front, you could maybe take this gamble and not have it affect you as much. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting. I, I I do know that I hear every week, and we all do, how hard it is to pass. There's there's a lot of reasons, but I'm sitting in the sitting in the booth last night, right? And I look and I see Kyle Larson. He was running. He was leading the race. I looked at his lap time, and I looked down and I looked I looked out the window and I saw there was a a really good race with four cars racing for 17th. And I looked at their time, and it was one tenth of a second difference. Yeah. From the car leading the race to the guy running 17th. Yeah, it was 0.12 seconds, like, you know, just over a tenth of a second. That's why it's hard to pass. It's so close. Competition has stepped it. It's so competitive. And yes, aerodynamically, a car behind another car is not going to be as good. You'll never fix physics. I don't give a damn what anybody says. Going back to a splitter, going back to a valence, going back to side skirts, going back to whatever the hell you think was the magic in the 80s will not fix the problem because it's, 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 we're going faster. We're, we're, it's just, it's just a very, we, we now understand, right. We didn't understand how to take advantage of the air. Now we do. It's not going away. It happens in late model races. You go to a late model race on a three eighths mile racetrack. You'll hear drivers talk about how you get behind another car and a car doesn't turn as good. Yeah. No kidding. It's because setups are built around that. And there's, there's no way going back on that. So, it, it's a it's a challenge for every form of racing in the world, not just cup cars in, in Las Vegas. And and it's just hard to pass. And and when you have that many people running that close of speeds, it's it's going to be it's it, what's weird about it, what's crazy about it is um, I know we went off on a tangent here, but what's crazy about how competitive it is, it's more competitive in the race than it is in qualifying. Hmm. Like if you look at the difference in speed from first to 30th or 28th and 30th in qualifying versus first to that in the race, it's closer in the race than it is in qualifying. <laughs> it is it is crazy how how competitive and and back to pit stops. Why pit stops matter so much? Why all everything matters is because everything is so close. Hey, it's Nate. I just want to jump in here several hours after we taped this podcast. NASCAR announced early Monday evening that it had rescinded the disqualification of Ryan Blaney's car and its sixth place finish from Las Vegas. NASCAR announced that Monday it discovered an issue with the template that was used for inspection on Ryan Blaney's car, so they rescinded the disqualification. We talked about that disqualification before we were aware that it was going to be rescinded, I'm going to leave that discussion in here because I think it provides some good context for how this penalty would have happened. I think Burton provides really good context for how NASCAR inspects the cars pre-race and post-race. So I think the discussion is still valuable, but just know that NASCAR has rescinded this disqualification of Ryan Blaney's car and his sixth place finish has been restored at Las Vegas. Now back to the conversation with Jeff Burton. Uh, NASCAR said that his left front shock 
was too short. So what can you tell us about what you know about why Ryan Blaney was disqualified here? Yeah, so so it's important for everybody to understand that NASCAR has a shock length rule. And essentially what they do is as a board uh, that you have to put the shock on and it has the eyes have to slide over uh, and it measures the, the length of the shock. And uh, that is done actually, you know, in pre-tech. And then the adjustments are actually uh, wire tied shut where those adjustments can't, it can't be supposedly not be adjusted. So this is a situation where clearly in pre-race, it went through, it was, it was locked. And then something happened to where it, at the end of the race, it now no longer is within spec. And this is in my eyes, kind of no different than uh, an Xfinity car. Remember, remember we had the, the, we used to have these inspections where the car was too low or too high at the end of the race and you would be DQ'd. This is really no different than that. Doesn't really matter why the shock not on in spec, it just wasn't in spec at the post race. And they, they, what they do is they tech uh, essentially all the playoff cars uh, and the nine car because of the owner points, and then they do a random. So, um, you know, roughly 48 shocks went across and only one of them failed. And, you know, NASCAR will get into under trying to understand why, but because it happened at the track, it did not happen at the R&D center. It happened at the track. It's a DQ. It's not an L1, not an L2. The penalty is a DQ, which means no stage points and finish dead last. That's just how it is. Now, Penske's take on this will be and, and how they move forward with it. We'll, we'll see in the coming days, but it's, it is a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a mystery to understand how the shot length could change post tech. That's the question is how could that have happened? Yeah, and as we tape this on Monday morning, we don't have clarity yet on if Penske will appeal it. We know that they can. So we'll have to wait and see on what happens there, but if the penalty stands, Jeff, let's look ahead to Homestead. Certainly puts Ryan Blaney in a must-win now for Homestead and Martinsville if that penalty is intact. In terms of the Homestead preview, I think a lot of people are looking at this race as if it's Tyler Reddick's ball game. But a lot of people thought he was going to be good at Las Vegas, too, and he, he yeah. wasn't all that great there. So give us your handicapping Homestead and what you think we're going to see here in this middle race of the round of eight. I think we're going to see a great battle between Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick, and Tyler Reddick has a whole lot to gain, and Kyle Larson doesn't. So <laughs> Tyler Reddick's going to be pushing the button, trying to make stuff happen, and uh, you know Larson's got nothing to lose. And and they are, in my eyes, the two very best at wrapping the that just getting it on the boards and and doing it all day, which is what's required at home. A lot of people can do it, but they can't do it all day. Those two can do it all day. They're not afraid to hit the wall. Uh, and it is, and there'll be others involved too. Don't get me wrong, but I think those are the two favorites going into the race. All right. Well, that's what we'll be watching Sunday, Homestead Miami Speedway on NBC and Jeff Burton will be a part of that broadcast and always appreciate him being a part of the NASCAR NBC podcast. Jeff, thanks for being here. Thank you, buddy. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager, Emily Conboy and senior associate producer, Aaron Feldstein for helping set up and record the episode. The NASCAR Cup and Xfinity Series will be at Homestead Miami Speedway this weekend as the round of eight continues in the Xfinity and Cup Series playoffs. You can head to NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the information and schedules on how and when to watch. That's at NBCSports.com NASCAR. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.
Jake from State Farm here, hanging out with Mel's Mow and Grow. Mel chose State Farm for small business insurance because his local agent is a small business owner, too. So she knew how to help him personalize his policies. And now, he's rolling in the green. Like a... Like a good neighbor? Guys, I'm trying to do the line. Oh, sorry, Jake. It's all good. Like a good neighbor? State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Start clean with Clorox. Because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.